Hello and welcome to the Estate Planners Podcast. My name is Anthony Brinkman and this is the place for will writers, estate planners and solicitors that are interested in learning the tips, tools and technicalities to best help their clients. This is episode 14 entitled Keeping Track of Case Progress. This episode is the first that is as a result of a listener request, so thank you to Jenny for the suggestion. The request read as follows. I'm a regular listener to your podcast and find it really useful and interesting, so thank you for doing it. I was wondering if it might be possible to cover some of the more admin type tasks in a future episode. Specifically, what notes to keep on clients and in what format. I have a client at the moment, and it's been a very long-running case with endless changes of mind and revised drafts, and I'm not sure if the notes I've got are sufficient, as it's become quite hard to keep track of, and a lot of the later communication has been in quick phone calls. So, before I get started, I should just point out that I'm going to answer this question with an emphasis towards a practical answer. If you've listened to the last episode, Legal versus Practical, then this is one of those questions. There is a legal answer, and that relates to the general data protection regulations, GDPR, and potential future claims. And there is a practical answer that is the real world what to do. I'll touch on GDPR later, but Your adherence to those regulations is your responsibility, and whilst this episode might help, I'm sure it will help, I hope it does, with your understanding and your application, it's not a substitute for your comprehension of the law in relation to your specific business. I recall when the GDPR regulations came in, I think it was in 2018, if I remember correctly, there was a lot of confusion probably across the whole country, about exactly what this was going to mean and how it's going to impact different businesses, different professions and industries and so on. And I know that in some industries, there were kind of template GDPR documents that were provided at that time. And for me, for my business, it just didn't seem to fit the bill. It didn't seem quite adequate and specific enough to my business. So I actually paid a company to put all of our GDPR documents together And I'm glad that I did because there have been a few occasions where the specific nature of those agreements wouldn't have been sufficient if we'd have just gone with an off-the-shelf template letter or agreement or what have you. So it's worth reviewing the documents that you have in place for GDPR. It may well be that you're still using the same documents that you put in place back in 2018. That's five years ago now. So, you know, it's, it's worth every now and again, just checking your documents. Hopefully this episode can be a prompter for that review. Just make sure it's still adequate. It will do you no harm to check over that. All right, with that caveat out of the way, let's get into this. I thought that the best approach would be to take the most basic of situations and then build it up from there. So let's suppose that you have no clients yet. You've just today completed your basic training and you're driving home full of excitement and anticipation to start your new career as a will writer, estate planner. And just as you arrive home, you get a phone call. 
Hi, my name's Bob. I was talking to a mutual friend and he said that you're getting started as a will writer. I've been thinking about making a will, so I wanted to see if you would be able to help me. Well, well, your first client. Now, at this point, you had not really thought about your administrative setup. You'd figured you'd get your training done and then with a better understanding of the subject, take a few days to get your home office set up and then start getting prospective clients. So first things first, I sincerely hope that in this type of situation, you would say, yes, of course, Bob, let's book a convenient time to get together and not put him off until you are set up. Never, never, never turn business away. So you're off now. Clients need to be able to communicate with you and you need to be able to communicate with them. You have a telephone, but here's the first question that probably will come up. Should you have a separate work phone from your personal phone? Now, this is a personal choice, of course. For me, I've never had a separate work phone, but that has caused problems from time to time. Not so much with phone calls and texts, but more with the apps and the websites that you're connected to via your phone. Logging on to personal accounts and apps or to a business account from a phone is pretty straightforward, but it's the switching between accounts that can become a little bit of a pain from a single phone. But technology moves on and this is easier now than it used to be. So I tend to go with a single mobile phone. If you have a landline number that you want to use, then you should certainly have that number diverted to your mobile phone. So with your phone in place, you then need to take a look at your email address, of course. You definitely need a separate business email from your personal address. Trying to separate emails will cause you massive problems in the future. And there are potential GDPR problems with using a personal address too. I spoke to one will writer recently who is looking to retire and he had used his personal email for business communications. He's having a nightmare now trying to pick out the client communications and extract them to a separate file so that he can delete them in order to give up his ICO registration. You can, of course, get email addresses for free. I would tend to suggest for appearances sake that you don't go with something along the lines of jeffswills at gmail.com as an address. It doesn't cost much to set up a more professional looking info at jeffswills.co.uk. And this would, of course, also reflect your website address too. It's a cost, but it's not a big one. And it's definitely worth the investment. And certainly for that later down the line point in time when you're perhaps looking to retire yourself or sell your business, you don't have to go through the rigmarole of separating out your personal emails from your business emails. So you now have emails that are isolated from personal emails. That's a part of your client correspondence records. And we're going to come back to that shortly. So now let's go back to Bob's telephone inquiry. Sure, Bob, I'd be happy to help. Are you free on Thursday morning, say at about 10 a.m.? That's great. Okay, what's your address? Good. What's your email? Super. And is this will just for you or are you married or do you have a partner? It's just for you. Okay. Well, I'll look forward to seeing you on Thursday. So you've now got your appointment booked with Bob and you've got a little bit of extra information about him. You need to send Bob a letter or an email to confirm the appointment and to give him a few things to be thinking about. 
let's suppose that you send a letter. This is now your first piece of written correspondence sent to a client. So, question, should you keep that somewhere? Should you have a record of it? Is it important? Well, yes, yes, and yes. What you now need is a CRM, a Customer Relationship Management System. This can be as simple as an Excel spreadsheet. You can get free CRMs off the internet or you can pay for a CRM that's a bit more sophisticated. Personally, as something of a control freak, I've tended to go for something that I'm in control of as much as possible. In the early days, it was an Excel spreadsheet. So here are a few points to note about that spreadsheet or that CRM. Firstly, give each inquiry a number. This is simply their client ID, and it allows you to link that entry with a corresponding folder where you can store their documents. Number two, whilst you can assign each person an ID, and some companies do that, I found it more workable to assign each case as an ID. In other words, if you've got a couple, you give them the ID number as a couple, not two separate ID numbers as two people. Number three, as well as their contact details, names, telephone numbers, email addresses, postal address, you need to use this spreadsheet to keep track of their case. What is the status of the case? Are they a prospect? Are they now a work in progress live client? Are they a completed client? Or is this case now, for the want of a better word, a dead case? Dead would be that they have asked off your mailing list or they are actually deceased. Number four, and finally, some record of phone notes, contacts made. What's the next action on the case? When are you going to perform that action? These are the basics of what you need in your CRM. And you can get super sophisticated and you can include all kinds of things in this spreadsheet. But in my experience, simple is better. Now, I mentioned there that you need a folder to keep client documents. So we now have Bob as client ID number one. If you imagine your My Documents folder on your computer, you might have a folder with your business name within that. And then in your business folder, you would have one that is named something like client documents or clients. Or as in my business, we simply call it the cabinet. Now, in that cabinet, you have a folder simply named One. My company has bought a number of will banks when, for example, a will writer has decided they want to retire. And I know that most, in fact, I think all of those will banks have had such client folders and they've all made the mistake of naming the folders with the client's name. So take my advice on this, don't do that. It's better than nothing, and it does separate out the documents, of course, but it will cause you more work in the future. You're bound to get a duplicate name at some point. So what do you do then? You'll constantly be checking which folder that you're putting documents into, and are bound to put the wrong document in the wrong, wrong folder at some time. So name your folders by their client ID, not the person's name. Moving on, you have written a letter to Bob. So store that letter in Bob's folder, folder number one. And here's the tricky bit. What if Bob sends you an email? Do you drag that email into folder number one? 
And what about Jenny's question about phone calls? Do you diligently type up your phone notes each time that you take a call and save that to Bob's cabinet folder? What if you take a call when you're in the car, for example, or you get a voicemail or a text message? Okay, so let's get practical, especially if you're working on your own. It's not going to happen, is it? You're not going to take the time to do that. Even if you want to, or you have the best intention of keeping all correspondence, it's simply not going to happen. But you do need some records. So what I'd suggest here is that unless you have a dedicated CRM, which is linked in with your phone and your emails, and that automatically links clients with recordings and emails and letters and documents, and you have gone with the simpler Excel, Outlook, Word, etc. as your software solutions, then make your phone notes in your Excel spreadsheet. There are going to be some phone calls that are more important than others. If a client calls to give you amendments to a draft will, for example, then that call is quite key, isn't it? It's an important telephone call. As opposed to a telephone call where the client simply says, Yes, I'm okay to see you at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning. But you can save yourself a lot of time writing up those notes by using your covering email sent with the new draft to confirm the telephone conversation. We'll come back to that point shortly with an example. But let's just return to Bob for a minute. Where we're at right now is that you had booked that appointment, of course. You've sent a letter to Bob. That letter is stored in Bob's folder, folder number one. So you turn up at his house, you take your fact find, you give your recommendations and Bob decides to go ahead with making a will and LPAs. You take instructions, you sign him up on the various documents like terms of business and so on and then you return to your office. This is a key moment. In the physical world you now have written instructions, you have a signed terms of business document, you have signed data protection consent forms, etc. This key moment is where you need to apply a principle that I've employed and I have never regretted. That principle is that you make your digital records reflect your physical records. Again, in bold, underlined italics, make your digital records reflect your physical records. You have in your hand a physical record of Bob's instructions, so scan it. Name the scan, file it in folder number one. If something changes with that physical document, you rescan it and name it with a different name. Don't overwrite the first scan. For example, you scan Bob's instructions exactly as they are when you get into your office. Then, the next day, you get to work on the drafts. Or if you use a separate drafting company, then you prepare to send that file for drafting. But you look it over first and you spot three things on there that you feel need to be elaborated on. In my company, we use a red pen to mark additional notes that are added after the appointment itself. So suppose you spot that one of the executors is noted as John. Now you know that he was talking about his brother John, but he also has a son named John, who is featured as a beneficiary. In the appointment to save time, you just wrote down John as the executor. So at this moment, you now add John's middle name and surname in red pen to distinguish him from the son. 
You also add a clarifying note to the funeral directions in red pen and another couple of points that help to explain the instructions. So now rescan the document. You'd probably want to write up your attendance notes here too and store those in Bob's folder. Now yes, this probably sounds like a bit of a pain and a bit time consuming, but you will thank me for this at some point in the future, I promise. The drafts are now produced for Bob and they are stored in cabinet folder number one. You send those documents out with a covering email, drag that email into the cabinet folder. A couple of days later, Bob calls to thank you for the drafts and he has a couple of thoughts about the gifts that he wants to leave and the funeral directions. He also wants to add a reserve beneficiary. You do new drafts based on that telephone call. And here's the point that I said that I would return to. In the covering email, with draft version number two, you can confirm to Bob the contents of the telephone call to explain the changes that you've made. This is the easiest way that I have found to keep track of client changes. It might read something like this. As per our telephone conversation on Wednesday the 21st, I've amended clause 3.1 to change the gift from £1,000 to £2,000 to your grandson, James Smith. I've amended clause 6.2 to provide the additional information that you wanted to give to your executors about the location of scattering your ashes. Please let me know if you're happy with how I have worded that. You'll also see that I have added the additional reserve attorney, your cousin Barbara Jones, to both of your LPAs. She'll act jointly and severally with your friend Fred Bloggs if your primary attorney is unable to act. You can perhaps see now that we have just two locations for the information and the documents that relate to each case. We've got your spreadsheet and we've got your client folder. Changes can be tracked easily. There's a running record of the relevant information that might at some point in the future be needed. And you've got the document changes stored in the client's document folder. The final point to the question that was asked is in what format? Now, what I assume that this question relates to is the software format like Word, PDF, Excel, etc. So here's my suggestion on that. You might well create a letter in Word, for example. But at the point that you finalize the letter and you print it out to send, you should also PDF that letter too. It gives a snapshot of that moment in time. It's the click of just a couple of buttons and it's a very good habit to get into. Write and edit your letter, print it, PDF it. If you create any documents in Word, such as your advanced directives, for example, you should PDF that when you create it. You can still use that Word document to edit it if there are amendments to make in the future, but PDFing the document at the point of production of drafts or finals gives it a stamp on the client's timeline. I would tend to call each draft by its number as well. Draft will one, draft will two, etc. with a date. I sympathise with Jenny's explanation of the case that she has had with a long-running client that keeps changing the mind. With nearly 25 years in this profession, I've been there many, many times, and I'm sure you have too. I might well return to the subject of how to control the uncontrollable client or the apparently uncontrollable client in some future episode, because they can be the bane of your life, can't they? Not only do they eat into your time, they consume your attention, they cause you worry, and 
More often than not, just to add insult to injury, they'll often whinge and whine and might even complain about the service. So yes, I'll make a note to cover that in some future episode. Hopefully, however, this gives you a framework for what documents to keep and in what format. As you build up your clients and you get more and more of those folders, number one, two, three, four, 104, 205, you know, you, you build up a huge number of cases over the years. Those cases are linked to a corresponding number on your spreadsheet and you have a relatively easy mechanism for finding clients, keeping track of them, noting down what actions you need to take next on which client on your spreadsheet and can jump into each client's folder to look at the rolling timeline for that client. As I have been going through this episode, I've had to stop myself from wandering off in the various directions that I was tempted to do, as I could have expanded on this topic in all kinds of ways, but it's already just a touch longer than the usual episode length, so we're going to wrap it up there for now. As always, if there is anything you do want to give feedback on or request as topics for the future, or if you have any successes that you want to share, I'm always open to communications. All the best until the next episode, and thank you for listening.